Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. And um, I want to introduce Kashik and Michael Rudd of uh, Playwood Games. And uh, we got on our screen, if you're watching the video, we've got uh, War Tile, which is the game that brought this whole conversation together. So thanks, guys, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk about a couple of things. And it's really cool. Actually, I don't have this kind of opportunity often where I have both um, an artist and an art director. And Michael, you're the art director, but you're also, if I remember correctly, the CEO, or you you run uh, Playwood too. Yeah, that's correct. Um, what uh, I'd love to know more about your story, and then uh, I want to get in and talk to Kashik about um, his story and freelancing, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to get in and talk about the art as well. Um, but uh, Michael, why don't we start with you and tell me uh, a little bit about your background? How'd you get into into games? Yes, uh, so I have a, a background from uh, as a game designer from the Danish Design Academy, mm -hmm. and uh, from there on, I actually went into a small company uh, that grew up to thirty employees, uh, called uh, Side Guys, and I think I worked there for almost three years and ended up being um, elite environment artist and also gameplay designer, but unfortunately. Um, the project was canned mm -hmm. and that made me move into IO Interactive working on Kane and Lynch uh, 2 um, and uh, as an environment artist. So that was a, that's a quite a big company in Denmark. It had uh, around 200 employees. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there on, I moved to working on the Hitman uh, franchise. Uh, so I've been a, a game designer on Hitman for a while. And after seven years at IO Interactive, I wanted to, you know, persuade, persuade my, 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 pursue my, my dreams of uh, becoming an independent uh, game developer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I quit my job at IO Interactive and started up my own small studio and uh, start work, started working on uh, wartime. And that actually what brought me to, to where I'm at today. And that's uh, 2014. So you've been doing this six years. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that uh, that I mean, in, initially when when I set up the production plan for Wartime, it was supposed to launch within two years of, of production. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the indie life is a bit more complicated than, than that. I think it's it's, and being the first product, I think there's so so many things to learn. I mean, I, I came with a background, uh, both with uh, some leadership uh, skills, uh, mm -hmm. being also a lead game designer uh, in a period, but and and you know uh, a solid background of many years in the business in 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 the different craftsmanship and animation and art and gameplay and but but running a company as a CEO is a totally different ballpark. So that was, I mean, it was back to school on on that that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Um, you basically were an artist that 
you know, created this and then had to grow into something else. Yes, definitely. Uh, I definitely come with, with an, an art background, that's yeah. for sure. And I think that's also reflect in the game and the, the approach of, of uh, you know, the art direction of Wartile. Well, I want to talk about the business side of it. But the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, just the innovation of this game. I mean, this is just, there's not a lot of games like this. No, it's, uh, I think also it's pretty unique. And I, it's definitely, you know, uh, the, the motivation to, to keep working on, on, on wartime. It was that uh, it, it looked and felt uh, different. So it, of course, has uh, two aspects. And I think uh, one aspect, which is the visual style, we mm-hmm. succeeded uh, with that uh, very much because it, it has these remarkable diorama uh, battle boards uh, and, and the small miniature figurines uh, in, in the game standing on their pedestals and moving around like pieces, small, you know, board pieces. Uh, I think that, that, was, that was an important aspect of becoming notable um, uh, among our players and, you know, going a bit viral in, in a very competitive market. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I agree. And, but it, when I was playing this, I was like, God, this is almost prefiguring AR, you know, because I always envisioned putting, you know, a HoloLens on and playing a game like this but in virtual space. And here you'd done this amazing um, presentation of it in 3D, in current tech. Yeah. What was the inspiration? Oh, yeah. It's, it's actually pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's going back from my childhood and probably everybody's childhood uh, uh-huh. when we were all playing with small figurines uh, Perhaps in the garden or in you know in in our our, our own room or in the living room, um, so it was very much to recreate you know the fantasy of of, of playing with uh, figurines and you know they go you have one in one hand and another one in another hand and they go ah, and they're fighting so yeah that was actually you know the core and then using the computer technology to create everything that we as adult don't bother to do anymore you know the animations the fighting and and everything so so we like to put them up together and see them fight uh, mm. and and apply our own strategy and and you know tactics into the battle board but then use the the you know the computer to create the scenery and set everything up so that was that was actually the intention from the very beginning was to recreate the feeling of playing with these figurines and see them act together and stuff like that that's great. I love that. Yeah. I can remember, uh, you know, D and D you build out your maps exactly. as well, you know, and then, uh, Warhammer, so many different ways in which that goes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so walk me through a little bit of the design process, like how that's the inspiration. And, um, and I know a lot of my friends, like environment artists specifically, cause they're the ones building worlds. Um, character artists tend to just be you know, focused on just creating characters and cool care, cooler characters, but environment artists spend so much time building levels and worlds and, and thinking through story on a whole nother level. Um, it might be interesting to them to see, you know, what's that process? You know, you're an, you, you're an independent. So now, you know, you've got, you don't have the resources the previous company had. Um, you have to do this on your own. What is the process 
for you to go from your idea to at least like, you know, just a prototype. Yeah. So, um, so I start with uh, a lot of research, you know, okay. inspiration and, and not doing that by playing other computer games. That's actually something I try to avoid at this stage uh, because I don't want to be too inspired by other, you know, things that have been done in games before. So it's, it's very much uh, looking at architecture, you know, the nature, uh, books, uh, cartoons, listen to music, trying to be inspired by everything around around me. And then, uh, then just trying to mock up, you know, a lot of different things. So, yeah, we... We also had an, an artist trying to, you know, draw different pictures. And, and the, the thing with the tiles coming into the landscape, that came during this process. In the beginning, we were actually doing landscapes and there were small dots going into the, you know, the grid system, mm-hmm. showing where it could move. Uh, but, but when we then tried to put in, uh, the tiles it it really really enforced the the tactical aspect of it not so much you know uh, being able to understand the space you move in but also visually so then suddenly you could see okay it's clear that i have uh, three or four tiles to my enemy and you can easily understand and read from a visual perspective uh, you know the playground uh, and then it also worked really well with you know the more organic uh, cliffs and and grass and you know the organic um, environment uh, set up mm-hmm. so that was a, a really interesting um um how to say uh, symbiosis between these two mm-hmm. and and the 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 moment where we cut off the boards uh, into these uh, diorama boards that also came pretty late um, in, in the process. And I, I don't know if I was, you know, uh, browsing on uh, Pinterest on, on, on different, uh, you know, inspiration. And then suddenly I saw these, you have these uh, diorama boards that are, are like saw through, like uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> something going through the, the, the dirt and everything. And uh, then we tried to do that as well. And it really helped, you know, creating something, uh, that felt like a, a tabletop uh, game and and small environment where these small figurines were moving around in, so that that really enforced you know the the visual uh, expression and made and, it, and this is all in the design the two D design phase or are you you mocking up at this point? At this point, it was uh, we did it on. Actually, it's a blend. I think we do a lot of it at the same time because something you can do very fast in the engine we were we were working in unreal engine mm-hmm. and and it's it's very easy to do you know quick block ops with environment pieces and and and, and art so yeah. i think it's actually a combination uh, of of me whatever tools i have at hand uh, at the moment i'm thinking about it um and then you know then we are set on on the the small battle boards, but actually something happens as well because as we develop the game, uh, it's we are in a concept and pre-production and production phase. It's kind of blurring out. Uh, 
so when we work, we go into a, we do a Kickstarter campaign, and that uh, that make us uh, uh, create a playable demo that that people can play, and then we go in early access in on Steam, and even more people play the game and give us a, gives us a lot of feedback both on the visuals and the gameplay, mm-hmm. and and during this time our um, you know the the visuals tend to change a little bit with uh, a different direction in gameplay so our battle boards they kind of grow in size so uh, one of the dark battle boards you were looking at a moment ago that was fairly small this is also a bit small yeah this was actually one of the first battle boards we did uh, this is a, a second version of the original one uh, this is uh, in 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 the nighttime. We also have one where you play it in the daytime, but it it looks a bit different and it's a different uh, setup. Um, but but this actually, when you play this, it takes about ten to fifteen minutes to go from you know from one end to the other end and complete the battle boards. Mm-hmm. And that was the original idea. But then I think the first one you showed uh, in the winter theme in the mountains. Yeah, that is a really big one, and you can even move. Um, yeah, it's yeah. This one, it's actually really big. Uh, it takes a lot of time to move all the way up in the hills because it also have inside uh, caves. Uh, you cannot see them here, but but there is a lot of caves inside that you go into. So so some of the battle boards really grew uh, because of a uh, you know. Uh, the feedback and, and a desire to have uh, a longer play time and more space to explore and stuff like that. Mm. So, that's a, yeah, that's a, does that speak to your life as an indie where you just, you need to be producing proof, proof, proof. Yes, uh, definitely. I think we have to, we have to work smart. Uh, I think maybe we didn't work smart enough on wartime, so it took so much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's definitely something we'll try. We have a lot of learnings that we'll try uh, moving on. Um, but but it is it is, and that, I think that comes also from my background at at IO Interactive. Uh, that that you have the computer designing computer games is a process where. You might be uh, pretty clear in your mind of the visual expression, how mm-hmm. things should look, how big they should be, what color schemes to use, and so forth. But but the moment you you merge this with uh, game design and level design, there is going to be compromises uh, that you have to make, and these compromises in my opinion, have to go towards the gameplay section because, I mean, if the gameplay doesn't work, it doesn't really matter how good the game looks. Right. I mean, of course it matters, but but if you have players uh, dropping the control, you know, 10 minutes inside the game, then then all the beautiful art will never be seen by anyone. So so I think we kind of uh, learned the same, that that even though we had a plan for the visual expression, it, we have to make some compromises on on size and scale and what was possible and what was not possible. Um, so um, so it is it is a, a dance back and forth mm-hmm. uh, where iterations iterations is you know, I think it's actually the most important 
uh, thing in, in game design, no matter if you are a big company or a very small company that is, you do something, you test it with somebody, you learn something, you do it again, you test it, and you, you keep iterating on the things you are doing. Um, and, and it also goes uh, into all the visual and environment art, because is the player able to see where he or she is supposed to go? Uh, is the gaming space uh, clear? Uh, does it communicate for the player? Is the enemy, uh, you know, form follows function? Uh, is it possible for me as a player to see all my enemies and, and predict what what they will do to me or in what ways they, they are danger or what type of challenge they 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 give me and stuff like that so it's, it's the communication part in visual design is extremely important mm. and and it i mean you you might know that ah oh, this is this is right as it should be and then you test it and then you learn okay i need to do everything over again and so it moves forward man it has basically it hasn't been straightforward and it hasn't been easy either i mean you guys had a kickstarter you want to um, kind of walk me through that whole process because if I understand, if I read it correctly, it was canceled, right? Yeah. So there must have been some like some scary times. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was more hard. It was really, really hard because uh, setting up a Kickstarter, I think almost no matter how prepared you are, you underestimate uh, the work pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, on on running a Kickstarter, um, but it also has a lot of upsides. I think, even uh, due to the fact that we had to cancel it. So um, this was our first Kickstarter, and uh, we thought we were well prepared. We had an an agency helping us, you know, prepare all the pledges and what type of content that should be in, and and so on. Uh, but once it it started uh we were not ready uh, at all uh, because everything moves so fast and you have a lot of you have a lot of uh, you're growing a community that pledge and expect updates and you know progression and and for a small company at that time we were two people sitting in house and we had uh, Kaushik and you know a couple of other freelancers uh, assisting us uh, but but our delivery uh, delivery time when uh, when so few people is pretty long uh, so i mean that is something you need to be prepared on is that that you might have your kickstarter ready but you also have to pre-plan and pre-prepare and produce all the content that you will roll out during the next 30 days during the kickstarter uh, that that is really important, um, mm. and I think uh, in that regard we we failed uh, uh, we failed on, on that. We were not ready. We were able to roll out updates and stuff like that, but they were not significant enough. Enough, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, you know uh, we had a really really compelling project, and everybody thought that it would succeed uh, when they looked at it. Yeah, but uh, I think what we were missing was you know the law and the story behind everything we did uh, it was like you know there was a big mm, uh, 
uh, we had a big facade. Uh, you know, we had a lot of beautiful art, and we had uh, we talked about gameplay. But when people then wanted to dive deeper, there was not much to dive deeper into. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that was where we lost traction. Uh, that was uh, we were missing the depth. What was behind everything? And what was the story of the characters and how could you evolve and what type of abilities could you use? And I think that's a trend that goes, especially with, with the current state of Kickstarter, Kickstarters, uh, you know, game Kickstarters, that you almost need the product to be close to done or at least uh, very, very um, detailed in, in, you know, in a lot of areas. Uh, before people can really they 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 dive into into your product, um, I think the days where it was enough with a, a solid concept uh, that that is over. I mean, I think you need something you need something well prepared and well executed uh, to survive Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Mm. So how would you pivot once that happened? You cancel it. You're like, okay, yeah. we messed up. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, you know, how'd you pivot after that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, so we, at that, that time we had uh, got some funding from the Danish design school. Hmm. Uh, no, not the It's called the Danish design, uh, no uh, film Academy. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's called the game scheme uh, funding. And uh, at actually the moment I was re- sitting and writing, uh, you know, to our community that we had chosen to cancel the the Kickstarter. Uh, I think the same day uh, we got a, a mail from uh, Epic. So they were having these uh, Unreal Dev grants uh, and we received, I think, almost worth uh, $15,000 uh, in Dev grant, which is actually just free money for the development uh, of, of uh, any game that is done in, in Unreal. Mm-hmm. Or this was, of course, specifically for, for Wartime. And I think that actually helped us a lot um, because we were pretty cut uh, slim on, you know, the finances for creating the project. Mm-hmm. At this time, we were self-financing everything. Uh, so it was from funding and, and stuff like that that we were trying to survive. Uh, at at this time, we how did we actually survive? That uh, I almost don't remember because it's so long time ago. But I think we went down on salary. I I mean, it have been in production for many years, Wartime, but I haven't really got any not m- much salary out. Uh, mm-hmm in the total span. Uh, so it, it have not really been a prof- profitable uh, in e- economy, but I mean, I've, I've developed myself a lot. So, uh, so we are able to, you know, cut all expenses, keep producing. And then we uh, were able to get uh, funding again from the uh, Danish film school mm-hmm. and not, not the film school, the film Academy. And, um, and uh, we also got some support. We went into early access. That actually also happened. 
And I got uh, some uh, funding from Saxis, another private investor, that uh, gave us some time up to the early access. And with the early access, uh, there was some revenue stream. And uh, after that, we signed a, a publisher deal with Deck 13, a German publisher, mm-hmm. that uh, also helped financing uh, towards the final release of of uh, wartime uh, to steam what what are you telling yourself like what's your internal uh dialogue as you're going through this because you're hitting obstacles and obstacles and you're not quite sure but then you're also getting successes like a random dev grant you know uh and epic is actually up to the ante on those and you know they're sending out fifty thousand dollars nowadays sure. Um, but what are you telling yourself like that keeps you moving? Because I'm quite sure there's, I know a lot of people who are developing their game is a dream for them. And um, I actually have a neighbor who uh, is in IT and he's been developing his game for the last seven years. <laughs> and he's like, this is hard. Uh, so what kind of language in turn, what are you telling yourself that keeps you going and keeps you producing such, you know, such an innovative, high quality game? Yeah. So uh, at the same time, I'm also, you know, dad f- to three kids at home mm. uh, with a wife, of course. Uh, yeah, so, so as a family father, it's, it's, I think time is also something that I really need to, um, you know, um, distribute between work and family life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and also, of course, the, the economy. And um, what keeps me going, it's, uh, it's the, so you can imagine that uh, the whole process have been divided into small milestones or, right. you know, achievements. So I keep saying, saying to myself, okay, so uh, for the next two, three or four months, this is what we want to uh, achieve. Um, and, and if, if we are able to, you know, raise the quality bar of, of, of wartile in production so that this you know goal is met it shows that we are still on track and moving forward and and we are producing something that uh, is valuable and then a new goal is set and that in that way i think mentally move forward and of course it it requires a lot of stamina and uh, I think also in the beginning and the, almost the first two years, I had a lot of nights, sleepless nights where I, you know, you, you spend a lot of energy worrying about uh, what about the, uh, the economy? Uh, will we have uh, money for, you know, half a year, the next month and, and stuff like that. And, and at some times we have been caught really, really crazy low, um, but but still, we managed to survive, uh, raise uh, money from somewhere, or you know, being able to release the game and then uh, some re- create some revenue. So there's always been you know these uplift. And for example, when we released Wartile in 2018, I chose to keep working on the product, mm-hmm. actually starting to develop a, a, a DLC called uh, Hell's Nightmare, together with uh, porting a war tile for uh, the PS4 and Xbox One, 
and we did that uh, in-house. Uh, so we had, uh, you know, a very, very um, patient uh, programmer starting to, you know, doing this port. And that took like forever. And at some point you you reach a level or, you know, a state stage where it's turning back is no longer really an option because you have so much so put so many resources at stage mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's it's just something we had to finish and uh, at 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 some point we also had to get further um, help from our uh, publisher who uh, financially supported uh, us in developing uh, this uh, this uh, port this game mm. also together with an external company called lab 132 a german uh, um, porting studio and um, luckily <laughs> through hard work uh, you know eyes in the stomach and maybe a few uh, <laughs> sleepless uh, nights uh, we are able to release this uh, here the 24th of march so that's just around the corner and then hopefully it will create some revenue stream that will you know fill the, 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 the gap, uh, the economic gap that, that we have in, mm -hmm. in, this, in this. And maybe with some luck, uh, be able to finance on uh, part of our next project. So it's, I mean, it's, I mean, as I mentioned before, in the beginning, I had a lot of sleepless nights, but you, you, you get tough skinned, you know, you, 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 you learn to, to prioritize and maybe see it, is it worth it or not? And and then constantly making small steps, not investing or risking everything on, you know, on something that doesn't work. And hmm. if I can just add in, if, yeah. if when I'm talking about small steps, it's, it's not my personal evaluation of the final result. It's, it's something like, okay, we need to make a playable prototype that has kind of these and these features. We have to have players play it and their feedback needs to be good or positive. Or we have, we need to have a certain amount of publishers who shows interest in the project and uh, before we move on. So it's not just, you know, it's easy to put a milestone and then you probably reach half of it or something like that. And, and, and you tell yourself, ah, it's good enough. We'll I'll put a new milestone and then just move forward. You need to verify, you know, each milestone uh, with somebody else, I think. Somebody needs to evaluate what you're doing and confirm you that you are on the right track. Because I think even big studios uh, sometimes miss doing that and I could imagine a lot of indie developers don't do that, maybe because they're scared of, you know, hearing the truth. So they just keep working and working and working on something that could be the wrong direction or something that's already done before or, you know, something that will not become a market success or anything close. And I think that's a, that's a danger uh, that you constantly need to you know, reflect on what you're doing and if it's good enough. Yeah. That's a great, because I, I know just as an artist, it's, you know, we get focused on our product. Mm. 
and we have our own vision of what we want that to be. And um, I spend a lot of time telling my students actually that, uh, you know, you have to remember there's somebody out there who's desperate to pay you money, but they're, they're desperate to pay money for the job they want you to do, not the job you think you need to do, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be mindful of what, what the marketplace actually wants. Yes. Um, and so it's for you um, when you're developing these, these um, not really prototype, but developing these, you know, MVPs or products. Um, what is it that you think is, is kind of an essential characteristic for that prototype? Um, gameplay is obviously one of them. That's, I think you said earlier, whatever you're giving to somebody, um, you're giving it to them so that they can experience the gameplay and see if that works. But what, what's the trickle down from there? Do you have to have super high quality graphics? Do you have to have super high quality characters? Like what else is required in order for you to take a, a small step, but not go too far? Yeah, I think we decided very early that uh, the art needed to be of uh, quite high quality. Um, and that is not always a very clever decision for a small company because it requires, mm-hmm. you know, uh, many resources uh, for artists to create something that is of a high quality. Uh, we then used a lot of uh, recycling. So we kind of recycle the the characters. So we or the you know the yeah the characters. So so we don't really have many different types of characters in the game. Or those we have is you know we have one model and then we create a lot of uh, texture var- variations of them, um, so that they they can be put in uh, many different type of roles. Uh, I think this uh, this is something we wanted to do very early on, uh, but somehow uh, we were not able to, at least with the environments or the battle boards, to to reuse much. So we have a lot of battle boards that are custom created, mm-hmm. and and that have taken a lot of time to you know place all the different tiles and create the the assets and and setting everything up together with gameplay and level design i think in that regard we have been uh, a bit more like a big studio would do it mm-hmm. uh, and that's definitely something we'll change uh, moving forward is that we have to be we want to keep the high quality because with the high quality comes the oh my god this is a, a small miniature diorama Mm-hmm. And and we wanted to, you know, first time you look at the picture, uh, we want people to like, just like, oh, just for a short moment, be in doubt if it's, you know, something for real or uh, computer art. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm aware that during the process, we it, become, it becomes more and more clear that it's computer art. Um, I think we have to, we had to make some tough decisions. Uh, you know, during the process and, and, and move and work faster. Um, but, uh, but, but some screenshots uh, in, in some environments, they're like, uh, where just when you look at it, you could be in doubt if it's actually two static miniature 
uh, fighting uh, in in a diorama landscape and stuff like that. So I think that that was important for us to create, you know, the first hook, the visual hook uh, from our audience. And it's like, oh, look at this. This is amazing. It, it looks different. I haven't seen something like that before. All these things was really important. Uh, and I think it's still important. And maybe also personally for me, because I really like, you know, art that looks good. Um, yeah. Or different. Uh, so I also really love games with very, very simple art. Uh, but I think I love to play them more than to make them. Uh, so that's also something I, I go with the passion in, in, in these areas. The thing is, we just have to be smart that if we want to make high quality art, then we might not have to do or we can't do too much of it, but we have to use it in smart ways so that the player still get, you know, a very variated game experience. Uh, but still, you know, it's, it's, we don't use all our resources on creating the art. Fair enough. Um, how did early access help you? Early access, uh, it was mainly uh, creating a, a close bond with the community, I think, and and the valuable feedback, you know, and it's it's extremely motivating to have, you know, we we had uh, players playing the game uh, very early alpha, during or after the the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. but once we moved into early access, it was thousands of players and they were paying customers so that's a totally different contract you have with them from you know uh, enthusiastic uh, community members playing your your alpha and and then give you feedback to someone who actually just put down uh, 19 euros or dollars and then expect something from it mm-hmm. uh, it's a very very different experience and i mean a different commitment from them and for us so uh, I think that was, uh, I mean, that was a big step that we are very much more prepared to uh, moving forward uh, at a great learning experience because you can disappoint people and p- people expect something uh, again from you. And the type of feedback is much more concrete and precise and, you know, uh, straightforward, angry, happy, there's a lot of emotions in, in, in this uh, first month. Um, and on the visual side, I think uh, we did really well, uh, but it was mostly on gameplay. Uh, gameplay that uh, took some bashing uh, and some praise, but that, that's definitely where we changed the most. That was on, on uh, our gameplay, setting mm-hmm. that up. That's awesome. Um, were you worried about copycats? You know, cause when I saw this, I was like, oh my God, you know, this is such an innovative approach. Um, I was almost expecting to go out and just see like a ton more like this. Yeah. Um, I think, and that might be just, you know, because you learn to look for uh, games that are set up with, uh, a small dioramas, but I think, Afterwards, I've seen a few other 
uh, doing the same thing. So it's nothing close to to you know the game experience of War Tile. Mm-hmm. But it's I, I think personally I think I, I pay more attention to oh they do like that and they do like that and oh there there you see something that's into the same mm-hmm. and and I do not it's not copycats it's it's and it probably most likely is uh, pure you know coincidence or inspiration or something like that yeah i'm not at all worried about uh, copycats because i think everybody is inspired by each other and what we do in the gaming uh, uh, gaming development is that we get inspired by other games movies books again all type of things, and then we uh, bring it in, and then we move it to the next level. Uh, you know, we iterate it. We create a new experience of of what we have seen. It it gets recommunicated, uh, and I think uh, that even Wartile is also inspired by a lot of things. Uh, if it's a coincidence or if it's uh, you know on purpose, it's. It, it's it's hard to tell, but it's it's, uh, but copycats no, uh, I don't know, not at all. Uh, I kind of get more happy when I see things are created in similar ways. Mm. Um, so that's awesome. Um, all right, so I got a couple more like just standard questions I want to run um, through. Uh, and kind of one of the first things that's, that's on my mind here is like, you know, when did you realize or when did you feel, if you ever felt, that Wartile had made it and that, you know, it was successful? Was there a moment where that really worked for you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. So, uh, seen from, uh, you know, uh, a business perspective, mm-hmm. Wartile made it uh, in you know, in the middle line. So it's, it it's sold. Okay. Not bad, not good uh, on, on, on the PC. So we are still waiting to see how it will uh, go on the console. Mm-hmm. I have pretty high hopes because it plays, it plays really good on consoles. Um, of course we had to do a lot of optimization on the visual part, but actually the gameplay with the cooldown based, uh, interactions it works uh, well on a controller because we can auto target uh, enemies and abilities and stuff like that so it, it's mm. very fluent to play so but but the moment where i, th- I think we made it there's a lot of of these small steps i think the uh, the big one is a big one i think it's it's a thing i think honestly it's a, s- a summary of all the small ones so when we received uh, funding from you know the F- Danish Film Academy, that was approval from somebody else that this is something worth financing. When we uh, had a huge community growth after a failed Kickstarter, um, that was we didn't survive the Kickstarter, but we had a huge support from the community mm-hmm. moving into early access and see sales and, you know, actually a pretty high ranking in the, in the, the Steam rating at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, going into uh, final release was also, you know, yeah, we did it. Uh, and then we started developing the DLC and the, the console release. 
and I must admit, then we again, oh, we didn't do it. Uh, it was that was a tough period, uh, running out of of money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But now it's it will be released in just six days, so it's again. Let's wait one week and say, yeah, we did it again. And <laughs> looking at the, uh, you know, how it's received uh, from our players. Uh, so I think it, it's still it's still up in the air. Uh, I mean, I, I I feel personally, I feel it's it's a success because you know, uh, in 2014, you know, I left IO to 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 create our own game. And, and it's out there and people are playing it and some likes it and some doesn't and, and so on. So it's, it's, that's an, a huge personal achievement. So yeah, uh, we did it, but we can still do much more. <laughs> <laughs> Always something else. Yes, exactly. The path of an artist. Uh, <laughs> um, games is changing a lot, right? Like uh, Epic acquires mega scans and basically everything else uh unity's acquiring things uh what are you excited about with the future of games now and it's gonna you know i'm I'm interested in your perspective both as a creative but also as you know a ceo who is driving the business side of this too yeah it's uh, i think it has an up and a downside Uh, Mm -hmm. So I remember talking about the downside. So the upside is uh, we, you know, the market store, uh, the marketplace, and stuff like that. Uh, we suddenly get ac- ac- access to you know a lot of content that some of it might fit into our you know our visual direction, mm-hmm. uh, and it it helps us, especially as indie developers, to cut corners. That means that we can focus our resources on other places, so we can, in in overall, we can get more for less. So I think that's a huge win uh, uh, as a developer in overall, and it it not only goes into you know uh, the visual content uh, cliffs and maybe not characters is a bit far fetched. It could be a bit far fetched, but you know environment uh, environmental props uh, in general it could also be like special effects and uh, even some code uh, we have not done that much yet but i could imagine that you could have uh, some uh, system being coded and you could implement that into the game and and not and and you know use the resources to bring it into the game instead of developing it from scratch um so I think uh, there's a lot of wins in, in that one. Mm-hmm. There's potentially also a risk of games looking the same. Right. Uh, but I hope that each studio have a strong desire to, you know, uh, differentiate themselves uh, from a visual perspective and drive an art direction that, you know, set your game apart from all other games. Um, so, but but uh, yeah, so there's, uh, I think on that regard, a lot of things to win. I don't, I mean, for us, the budget on on creating art is kind of the same uh, because uh, we then just put it into, you know, specific areas. 
I think moving forward, it would be definitely in character creation and some props uh, needed to be developed. But I think a lot of other uh, content, visual art content, is something that we can acquire uh, from uh, marketplaces or, you know, uh, other artists that kind of sell out of, of you know, uh, that all kind of stuff. Uh, so it, it doesn't, it's again, and I already said it, it, it the, re the amount of resources is the same. We just, we're just able to get more for the same uh, amount of money. So on the downside, uh, it's enable, uh, I don't know if it's a downside. It's, it's, it, it's it just, it, it makes it easier for a lot of people to develop games. Yeah. So, uh, so suddenly, and I mean, all the tools get better and better. Uh, Unreal becomes easier and easier to work with because they thrive creating good tools for, you know, the craftsmanship, uh, right. uh, the developers, which is really good. But it also makes, because uh, making games is a lot of fun and it's a very creative, uh, you know, uh, business to be in. Mm -hmm. And I think it attracts a lot of people, uh, everybody wants to create games and I definitely think it's a big difference between playing games and create games but it's still very attractive uh, you know area to to be working in and with all the the tools it becomes you know the the bar of how much experience and how good you need to be in different areas it's it's kind of lowered which I think idealistic it's good but it also you know makes the the market really really crowded because mm. a lot of games comes out uh, so in other words you need to be perhaps even better to direct um, to be different than all the others uh, so yeah again i guess uh, and if i was to ask you how you differentiate yourself i'd i'd assume you mean you'd say gameplay is probably number one uh, not necessarily, I think, okay. uh, because uh, I think, oh yeah, I think the first hand impression it is extremely important in you know, especially uh, to be noticed in a, a crowded uh, air environment. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine if 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 you have a lot of pictures, you when you browse games, you you look at the pictures and okay, what type of game is that? Then you look, you don't. I think that's the first contact. This is the eye contact. The first contact you make with your customer or your potential players, it's the eye contact, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can show them something attractive and something that looks different, they haven't tried before, that kind of uh, sparks something in them, you have, you have their attention and then they'll probably read about your game. And if it's within the, their desired genre, then you have them dwell even further in and they might look at a review or, you know, the feedback from other players or talk with their friends about it. And then first there, I think the gameplay is really important because other people playing your game and thinks it's fun, they will, you know, share the news about your game. Uh, so, so I think the art, the visual art that needs to be you know inspiring to begin with that's the first step 
Mm, and it. the gameplay is what keeping them in the long run. Got it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, get them interested, attract attention, and then, you know, keep selling them on it. Yeah. Just like kind of when you meet a girl, right? So you get attracted <laughs> to her. Then if she doesn't have any personality, in this, then you kind of move on, right? Yes. Or you, you know, you dress nice for the first date and then the next yeah. thing, you know, you're in sweats by, uh, yeah. by, by month five. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um, all right. Last question. I really want to um, see if we can unpack a little bit is this journey from creative to CEO. Uh, and I have my own, you know, cause I started my whole school, my whole business as an artist. I just wanted to share, you know, what I do, but then I started to, um, want to impact more people and, you know, bring my friends into this conversation and then start to build a, uh, an enterprise that can, um, help other people. And, you know, this, there was a whole, there's a whole, and I'm still in the learning process. In fact, I just finished this one, um, business accelerator called founders Institute that was, uh, just designed to help get a lot of this CEO stuff into my head because uh, it was, it was kind of slow going, but um, what are some of the things that you uh, had to learn to kind of be able to move from creative to CEO? Yeah. So a lot, a lot of it is actually on the, uh, in the business uh, for me, at least in the business uh, side learning to do you know uh, um, uh, lay down the economics of the game cost and you know cost and profit uh, excel acts a lot of this uh, being able to set up the production plan in details um, how to handle taxes uh, how to handle invoices and paying you know freelancers uh, how to set up a business model for the game how mm -hmm. to earn money on it and, and there was a lot of these things uh, uh, that was that you you kind of you need to learn from scratch uh, also regarding hiring your first employee in-house employee setting up a contract and paying the salary and there's a lot of things that might seem trivial, but I mean, it, it still takes month and month uh, to learn and understand. And in the beginning, everything takes a long time and then you start to be able to, to do it faster. Um, and I mean, we have been suffering from a constantly uh, low liquidity in the company, mm -hmm. but I mean, if, if I were if I were to do something different, it was to build up financing uh, the finances for the whole production or close to the whole production uh, immediately before starting to hire in and and begin the actual pre-production of the game. Right, uh, and that might be hard, and I, I'm not sure it was possible with Wartile, but that would have allowed uh, me personally to hire someone who understood you know what they were doing in the economy side you know i don't know what to say it call it in english but someone to handle the accountant is probably an accountant um so that i would save a lot of time and stress on that 
because what you don't understand is what actually keeps you up at night. Um, so in that way, even as a CEO, you know, you could make the decisions on to do this or that, but you didn't have to go into the gritty details of, of you know, all the uh, econ- economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's as a CEO, it's, it's about understanding your strengths and weaknesses. My strength is in creative design. I do... I do, you know, environment art. I do level design. I do gameplay. Um, I do not do much uh, marketing. Uh, I do not do uh, much uh, community handling. I do not do accountants and so on. But I had to. Now I have learned to like uh, the marketing and community handling uh, because it's really interesting how that actually uh, f- functions. Uh, but it's still something I prefer, uh, especially the marketing, someone else to handle. I like to spend some time on the community because it's really rewarding. Uh, and I would like to spend much time on the creative direction of the game. Got it. All right. Yeah, I totally understand that. Building more of a runway for your for your business. So at least that's the way they talk about it here. Uh, And one of the things my mentor told me was, um, you know, the big job of a CEO, the main job is to reduce risk and to make sure that they're clear on what, you know, what they don't know, basically. Like that was really important. I think what you said, which is, you know, what's keeping you awake at at night is what you don't, what you don't know, what you don't see coming because you know there's something, right? Yeah, exactly. that's amazing. All right, Michael, man, I really appreciate you sharing your insights. And um, this is really, it's a beautiful game. And it definitely brought me back to my childhood. You know, it's really a lot of fun to just get in there and play and move these characters about. You know, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to jump on with uh, Kaushik and um, look at his art and unpack some of that. Uh, and see where we go with there. Um, so I'm going to switch my screen or my page over here to Kashik's. And um, you got, uh, Michael, before I do the full transition, how was it working with Kashik? Now, now I put you on the, on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, and it has been very, uh, it's been rewarding, but it has also been really challenging. I think mm-hmm. you have to understand that uh, there is a, uh, now Kaushik is uh, probably sitting and laughing a bit, but there is, a, <laughs> and that's no surprise, there's a big culture difference in being, I'm from Denmark and Kaushik is from India. Yeah. So it's, there's a big uh, cultural difference in, you know, maybe not so much in how we communicate, but how we uh, understand, uh, you know, the direction or, you know, when I say something looks like something, it, the reference, our reference frames are totally different. Uh, not totally different, but they're different. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that have been, uh, that have been a challenge in, in, you know, for me to learn how to communicate what I'm talking about or what I'm, I'm, I'm what I'm, what I'm trying to express so that he understood it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I know, Kaushik has, is really, he's a really, you know, um, 
experienced and and uh, um, what is the word uh, technical it's very technical in his uh, work process mm-hmm. so uh, so he also had to explain to me you know the different steps in in creating the character and how it was done best and you know where i had maybe limited experience in creating characters i only you know modeled a few characters myself many 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 years ago so the technology and you know the workflow have changed a little bit so so i think it was a really healthy bouncing back on on you know on the details and i have i have a slide that i don't know if i can send it to you on some way but it, it, it kind of explains you know the process from our concept design yeah how it's 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 cut down and what Kaushik do and then I write okay we need to move this here and this is another color he's broader broader around the shoulders and do 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 you know I think it's very very normal uh, feedback loops that goes uh, within companies but we had to do it on Skype uh, so it, it there was an extra challenge in in that to have that working really well. Mm-hmm. Um, to have the expectations uh, meet. And uh, I I definitely think uh, we have met each other and I'm really, really happy uh, for the, you know, the end result that we have received uh, from Kaushik and happy for the, you know, the cooperation, the partnership we have. Um, So, so it's, it's, but it, I mean, it's still, you know, it's, is still uh, an ongoing process that can keep getting better, but it's it's already uh, really good, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it has two aspects: it's it's distance, it's an offsite work relationship, and it's also a cultural uh, differences in, in 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 work relationships. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Uh, all right, Kaushik, um, why don't we start and you just walk me through some of your background. How, where'd you get training? Where, where'd you go to school? All that good stuff. Well, thanks for inviting me and thank Absolutely. you, Michael, for appreciating my work and work style. Anyways. Uh, well, I, I, I'm from India and I'm from West Bengal, uh, where uh, I've been brought up from a Catholic school and uh, I was into creative fields like sketching and drawing, not that kind of a like hardcore stuff but i had a, be, a bit of a basic training on that so that i i then after doing my class 12 i mean class 2 i started doing my accounts honors and i really didn't enjoyed how it went up so i didn't like that big fat books actually <laughs> so so i uh opt a course uh it's quite near to our place uh in kolkata um uh on the 3D animation field and uh, mm-hmm. where I get to learn a bit about animation. I had no idea what it's all about. And there is a, there is a miscommunication. I mean, um, it's uh, an idea about the animation that you have to be uh, a good artist in the, in pen and paper in order yeah. to become a part of this industry, which I think is not that correct because we have a lot of stuff that we can deal with references and with the software skills. So that, that was a big thing that that cleared up my mind that okay we, we can do a lot of stuff without being that much of a creative guy so 
Uh, I started from there and uh, after three years, I got my first uh, on-site job in Hyderabad Game Shastra, where I was there for a year. And then I switched to freelance. Uh, the reason behind switching to freelance is uh, I realized that I have been lacking a lot of skills and a uh, lot of um, lot of stuffs that I should have been known. And I think I need to put a lot of time. And if if I if I put a lot of time, I can deal with some of those parts. And the job was really taking up the time, so I had to go back to my normal freelancing stuff. I didn't had a lot of projects in the early stages. I didn't know how much to charge. All I know is that I have a lot of stuff to learn. And I have to do it every day. So, mm-hmm. so I sit back with my internet and I do a couple of my freelance and I do all my homework that I, for, for what I left my job. And things grow up from there. Uh, industry grow up from there. If, if you recollect Marvelous Substance all came in the year of like 14, 15, 2015. Yep. They influenced the industry a lot and it became a big challenge for the people uh, who are doing it all self. I mean, if you are with a team, you, you get a lot of like, say, I mean, a lot of discussions going on over there. Okay, have you gone through this stuff? But in my case, things were a bit different. I have it in my resume as well. So I had to look into the stuffs, get inspired from other people's work that this is looking quite amazing. How did he do that? What yeah. is the process he has been approaching into these kind of things? So this put me into a lot of questions and I kept on searching about those stuffs. There are some amazing uh, I mean, um, websites like Polycount and ArtStation came up. That time there was CG Hub, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I remember those that. Are, yeah. And... Uh, there are some amazing, amazing artists like kind-hearted artists who share this, uh, their uh, tips and tricks about their artwork, which gave me a little bit of a boost up, gave me a little bit of a clarity how to do all these stuffs. And uh, I, I mean, those are the basic things that I focus on on improving my work. Mm-hmm. And being a being an artist, it's something that you are never satisfied. <laughs> I mean, if you do a project in 2015 or 17, if you, if you see it now, it you might, you might think that I must have done this in a different way. I must have pushed this part a little more like in a, in a smarter way, something like that. So it's a mix of uh, creative experience and also the knowledge of the packages that you are having. Even nowadays, I'm still learning a bit here and there about ZBrush. There's a lot of plugins came up, simplifying your job, yeah. simplifying your workflow. So it never ends, I guess. The industry is so much changing nowadays, it never ends. And it gives me inspiration. And on the same time, it gives me a lot of like complex feeling that I cannot do this. I mean, I'm still the same. My artwork doesn't improve. So I'm happy that I'm having this feeling of improving myself every day, but I'm not satisfied. So I understand. It's part of the creative dilemma. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and especially in our in games film well games a lot right now because of the environment yeah. art stuff but um yeah. the uh, we talk a lot in the school about the half-life of a skill yeah. and uh, you know if you're going to be a lawyer well you know the half-life of a lot of that stuff's a, you know quite long because law doesn't change uh, yeah. very fast that is yeah. but um when you're talking about being a cg artist like it's great you mentioned 2014 because we started i started teaching online at about i think it was 2010 2012 or something like that and it was zbrush was the rage and you did everything in zbrush and then next thing you know 
uh, Marvelous Designer. Boom. All right. Clothing's in Marvelous Designer. You don't sculpt clothing anymore. I mean, I remember I had a class with Steve Lord, who's like the best sculptor on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and he did dynamic drapery, but then that was outdated by Marvelous Designer, you know, right away. Then there was Substance Designer, and that took out all the environment stuff that we used to do in ZBrush, or most of it. And everything's kind of changed. So um, when we're looking at this today, and this is something I tell my students, is it's like, just because you're starting doesn't mean you're in a bad position. You're actually in a really good position um, because you're going to learn all the fresh stuff and just position yourself for the future. So when 2014 rolls around, what did you do? How did you position yourself, you know, for the industry? Well, uh, I think uh, that definitely there is a lot of introduction of latest pipeline in the, in the character creation field, in the prop creation field. But I guess in order, you have to fit in into the reach of all clients. It doesn't matter if you are doing a freelance or you are doing a studio job you must know all the pipelines and it's it's not about just knowing even if you don't do it you don't understand what are the what are the flaws what are the I mean, troubleshooting you have to do on all of these stuffs mm -hmm. i mean that gives you a lot of experience and that that never goes like it never get wasted actually so um, in the earlier period i used to do my zebras uh, cloth sculpting through zebras as well i mean th that was the obvious tool i had i used yeah. to do a lot of maya stuff as well uh, it was a tedious, but I'm glad that I marvelous was not there with me at that point of a time. Otherwise, I could have lost a little bit of a foundation on how cloths really work. Mm. <laughs> so I will say that's never been wasted. And uh, nowadays, even I'm like, I, if, if someone tell me which is your primary software, I, I will always say Gbrush because that is the software that actually made me think I should become a character artist because I love the dynamic way the software helps us to create a character i mean it's not tedious it's always creative you put a brush strokes you don't like it you smooth it out it gives you like a full comfort i don't know i, I feel it in that way when gbrush comes so yeah. that's why i thought about when i was creating my portfolio using gbrush for the first time and i saw this this software is amazing and i should try doing lot and lot of characters um this is the uh, this is the backstory, one of the primary tools that, that motivated me to make characters actually. And then even though nowadays when I'm using Marvelous Designer, I use Marvelous at a certain stage and after that I really come into ZBrush and do all the other stuff like say uh, memory details and making this fold a little more uh, creative or maybe a little more specific like Marmo said it's just a tool. I mean, Marvel Design is just a tool. It will give you the output from his like general senses. I mean, we never really get everything out of it. So ZBrush is the software that gives you all the control that, okay, I need to do a little bit of a changes on this part of the dress and that. So that is the thing. So ZBrush is like your home plate. <laughs> yes, right? ZBrush yeah. is everything for me. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, I can't, stress enough how much like that was literally Ofer's design is he wanted yeah. people to have absolute comfort um in this that and they i remember one time we were talking about a particular feature and some users were wanting something to be a little bit easier and he told me his job wasn't to make it easier because he wanted people with zbrush he wanted them to kind of be like they're in a ferrari it's not exactly. about 
you know, being in a Toyota where everything makes sense and you got all of that, like you, you have a powerful tool at your fingertips. He wants you to be kind of in love with it in a, in a different sort of way. So that's exactly, you know, what he was going for. So um, what do you do right now? Are you freelancer or what's your main job? Yeah, I'm doing freelance nowadays. I mean, it's been like I doing it for seven and a half years now. In, and in India, right? In India, yes, of course. So, and where are most of your, or how do you get your clients? I guess those are two separate questions. So um, is your client based uh, India? Is it uh, Europe, no, I mean, U.S.? Uh, after you're, you. Sorry, what was that? Well, after you. No, oh, I was asking, where's your client base primarily? Okay, yeah. They, they are basically from outside India. I, mean, mm -hmm. I, I think I have none from, from India, I guess. Okay. Uh, maybe I worked one or two in the, in the early stages, but I don't know how they find me, but I put my advertisement on art station. It's, it's, uh, it, I think it generally comes from art station or sometimes from LinkedIn, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, <clears throat> that is basically the main two platforms I usually get my my clients stuff. And what um how does that process work for? If you can just give me kind of a high level view, you get a brief. Well, you, uh, yeah. yeah. For me, uh, I didn't had a clear idea about what I mean how freelance should be all about. I mean, all I know that I will work and I'll get something to paid out of it. That's all I had in mind <laughs> because the biggest thing, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that I face yeah. in India, India is a big country. It's a very overpopulated country. And this point has to be noted uh, in India. Video games is not that of a big deal. I mean, no, I, I, very few I, people know about it. Not yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you, you know, how did your parents respond when you said this is what you wanted to do? Cause no, actually it was my mom, mom's idea to go back to the, uh, to go to the animation industry. I mean, Oh, uh, I'm glad to have a mom like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When I was, my yeah. wife is, uh, is India. She's from, she's from India and she's from Delhi. I know, and, uh, I know. When I went to India, they did a palm reading on my hand. Oh yeah. And there's, yeah. And there's one line on the hand, I guess. That's like, if there's four notches, you're a doctor. If there's five, you're a lawyer. No, it's four, you're a lawyer, five, you're a doctor. And it's like, that's baked into your hand. Somehow or another, this profession yeah. uh, is, you know, is known by your biology. So it was quite fascinating to kind of see the, the pressure, yeah. you know, yeah. and like my, and my wife, Sonia, she wanted to be a, um, an artist, but her father wouldn't let her. The closest he'd let her is, is an engineer because, or an architect, because there was an engineering component to that. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so it's I mean, pretty crazy. I also have some kind of a similar story with my wife as well, but I'll add it later after I complete it. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe it, 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 it's, oh, I'm sharing this, just it clears up a, a lot of miscommunication about this industry and the people. I mean, okay, mm -hmm. anyways, to add on that, uh, the biggest problem that I face, uh, if I'm talking about myself, I know there are a lot of people from Mumbai, from Bangalore and stuff like that. They, mm -hmm. they have a community out there. You can see a lot of animation activities going on over there, but in my place, it's absolutely zero. Because uh, in West Bengal, I'm, I'm staying in Asansol right now, it's absolutely zero. There is, I think there is no one who does computer gaming graphics from it. So I'm the only one who is over here, I guess. Maybe there are one or two, they have moved out. 
to some other states. So it's a big challenge, first of all. So um, finding out projects, asking how much to ask for it, I still don't have that clear idea. All I know that uh, this can be a base rate. Just stay within this and get do, do the job done. And I cannot compromise with the job because I think, for me, I think when you do a stuff for, an, for a client, that job can be published a year or later and that can be a source of another job in the future. Mm -hmm. So always try to give your best. The best as you can do. Sometimes we feel a little low that I cannot do artwork like those kind of artists. It's always there. It will always be. But we cannot just, we have to control that emotion. I mean, we cannot help it out. It comes with experience. It comes with the, I mean, the location you stay. So I, I will do the best I can do with all alone over there. So Michael has been one of those people who has given me a lot of creative ideas how to do a character for a game mm -hmm. because he has been with me for the last five years. So I have a full experience working with a game, not in all the aspects, but in some aspects, of course. So there are these are the few things that gave me a lot of inspiration, a lot of knowledge in, in and out the game. Got it. That's great. And so for you, the design process starts with a concept, right? Yeah, of course, from a okay. concept. And then from there, um, what do you work on? Do you go face, body, clothing? Like what's your first priority, the first thing you start to unpack? I generally try to follow what is more universal and which is like more, uh, I mean, it will save you a lot of time. So I generally try to create a basic shape of the character. Okay. Because... Um, um, if I have the overall volume, overall structure of the character, how how the proportions will be looking, then I can have some small changes to those characters. If, if that gets looking to be a little more interesting, I can move forward with the other stuffs like uh, extracting all those parts. I mean, um, are we talking a polished version of it? Sorry, to interrupt. Uh, are, we, well, are we talking like yeah. this piece here where we're talking yeah. about like getting that silhouette and the volume around, you know, versus a straighter, more rectangular piece? Getting the, I mean, getting the, I mean, the characteristics of the character. I mean, uh, it, it, you can say that if you see the silhouette, you can see the characteristics. One guy is like a little bit of a heavy one. One is a little shrink. So we need to get all those uh all those informations on the basic shape of the character, not going into much details. I mean, not going into details, I guess, not in much. I mean, just to block out the entire stuff, just to place some simple primitives everywhere and make uh, like say a small miniature kind of a stuff. And then we move on step by step. Got it. So it, it saves a lot of time and uh, because 3D is a longer process and it, it requires a lot of like time and dedication and hard work. So we cannot just simply wipe out the entire stuff suddenly. I mean, that's why we need to keep this in mind. We need to save some time. We need to save the energy. We need to be in a proper pipeline because in freelance, you do what you think is best. If you adopt a certain style, which is not, is which is very risky, then when you go for a studio job, you might be a little embarrassing it might face a lot of problems so even though i'm doing freelance i'm always open for a studio job so i need to get prepared for that as well that do you do the stuffs according to the normal way or you do it like i'm a freelancer i can do it in any way it's nothing like that so can you give me can you give me an example of that some 
something more specific? I mean, specific. First of all, I look forward to a character concept. Most of my clients used to give me some of them just Google around images and give it to me. Mm-hmm. So what I do, I generally try to block out every stuff, not going into details like getting the form, the shape, yeah. uh, shape and size, the shoulder volume and stuff like that, the clothing and stuff. Just give an overall volume. Just present it. I try to update my client sometimes through video calls. And mm-hmm. most of the time I do it video calls because a character needs to be seen in 360. Because right. um, in, in, a, in a screenshot, it's there, but you still lose a lot of like impact. Sure. So, yeah. So if they're happy with it, I just try to give it a little more extra details, like giving it a belt or maybe the straps, as you can see, I mean, mm-hmm. a, a boot. I mean, not detailing it too much, right? Like like the ropes around the boots and stuff like that, the bandages. I don't give it that much of a detail. I just try to give it a step-by-step update to my clients. I mean, what do you think about this? Okay, they say me, okay, the face is looking a little big. Um, the forehead should be covered with a little ha- hair or stuff like that. Just yeah. do all the small um, feedback, work on those feedback, put a little bit of extra work on that, update it step by step. And even though there are many clients in my case, they come from the development part. They don't have a clear idea about what, I mean, how, how much time should the art has been taken. Sometimes at the end of creating a character, they get used to it. Okay, I understand this character. The characters really need to have to be given a little bit of a time. Uh, four or five days is not enough, I guess. So. And how long are you given? What's the usual time frame for most projects? It generally takes two weeks, I guess. Um, and is that from beginning to final or is that beginning yeah, to... beginning to final. Okay. Of course. And sometimes it takes more sometimes even a month and sometimes I need to do characters in like uh, three, four days as well. But Oof. you can understand the compromising on the quality on that. They, right. they do understand. They say, okay, I can understand, but we just need these kind of stuff uh, because there is no time we have. Yeah. That makes sense. And what is your delivery uh, deliverable? Um, are we delivering uh, low res maps? Like what, what specifically are you delivering? I generally deliver the FBX, sometimes OBJ, depends on the clients, depends mm-hmm. on the requirements. I um, I think for Michael, I didn't work on PBR. I mean, I was working on specular based action. Okay. So uh, after completing the project, I get to learn Substance Painter. So nowadays right. I'm giving all like your roughness map, height map and things like that. The character doesn't need a rough height map quite often because um, because they don't have huge details on their face and things like that. Never right. given it, but um, it's it's all what they expect, like the color albedo map and things like that. And um, how many polys are you roughly using for your low poly? Well, uh, the thing is, I that's completely depends on the client, but sometimes they are even confused, I guess. Yeah. It's, un- it's understandable. It's like everything's changing and Unreal handles yeah. a million plus polys, but then you throw animation and text and draw calls exactly. and everything changes. Exactly. So basically I try to shoot it at 25k tries, 30k tries. I mm-hmm. think that is quite fair enough. Mm-hmm. But even sometime I need to drop the character at like 8k tries as well. That depends. I mean, those, those 8k or 10k tries requirement has been there 
when I was doing freelance in the year of 2013 and 14. Right. Uh, so I had a bit of a bit of idea that okay, and those low poly requirements. I mean that is a that is something you need to keep in mind uh, from the initial start of your project. That this is how I start doing my high poly stuffs. Okay. I need to I need to merge these two pieces. Should I separate this or should I just use extra details from the textures? It's the decisions that you have to take from the from starting the character mm. like from a new start. That makes so sense. So we usually have all the discussion when we start a contract or a single character. Um, I I've got actually several students um, from India. I've got uh, two of my most successful students are actually um, in Nepal. Uh, Sushan and Mohammed. And um, uh, what is it that people kind of, you know, misunderstand about freelancing from your perspective? Mm. I don't think you need to be into the habit of doing it. I mean, I think I love my comfort zone. I love my comfort zone. That's why I'm doing freelance. And the misconception about freelancing is I don't really thought about it actually because I have been doing it quite quite fine and decent enough. Not that great, not that worse. Uh, but in order to do a freelance, I guess you need to give it a little bit of a time. I mean, like when you are working with, with, an, with a company, if you suddenly jump into freelance, um, you cannot expect that much of an involvement um, of work with you. I mean, you, you might not get work for one month sometimes. It happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. There are so many people out there. Now, that is the time you have to know how, how to react. And that reaction is very important. That keeps the artist healthy from the mind. I mean, if, if your confidence is dropped, if you are like confused, it might affect you as an artist. Mm-hmm. So you need to be very clear on that, and nothing comes so fast. I guess it everything takes time. Everything I guess. So I never thought about it in that way. That what do you do? The negative impact. What, what do you do in that those months that you don't have work? I generally never had this. Op, I mean, situation. But yep. My client base really went down. Sometimes, sometimes I had one. Uh, generally, I used to have two or three, but you have to keep that in mind. I don't ask for crazy amount of money. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my budgets are really indie because I know I have to survive. I know I, if I don't do any stuff, my confidence might go down and I'm also liking my freelancing life. So I need to do it. I don't give a big thought about the budget. I mean, I need to ask this much. Otherwise I'm not going to do this project. It's nothing like that for me. So it was in the year of 2016. That year was really a big deal for me. I I was running out of projects. I mean, I don't have better clients. I mean, not even like one client was there. He was giving me one job every month. Mm-hmm. That was the time. But it it went up. Well, then I came up to some other clients. I mean, things comes and goes. I mean, that's the part of life. I mean, that is a part of everything. I guess <laughs> we need to act. We need to act according. So the primary tools you use today, ZBrush, Substance, Marvelous Designer, anything else? Yeah, uh, there are a couple of them. I, I use Maya, ZBrush, and Marvelous for my modeling stages. Yeah. Um, for my low-poly stuff, 
I use Topogun. I know it is it is old, but mm-hmm. I'm very la- lazy about learning new stuff. I mean, Especially I'm topology. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing Topogun, and one more software that I would like to share that everybody should go and check it out. It's it's a wrap. I mean, three um, Ds R three Ds wrap. Oh my God! It's right. Amazing software. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It comes with ZBrush, I guess, but it's a plugin. But if you can, if you can try to do it with uh, getting the software all alone. I mean, it's an independent software actually. So if you do it, you will get a lot of like good looking topology for your facials. I mean, that's the most crucial part for a character. It gives you a decent base. I mean, even if ZD measure is not working in any ways, I mean, situation can come. So you can use that piece of a software. It's really good. Apart from this, I use for baking Substance Painter and X Normal. Uh, X normal was my primary tool before Substance came. Uh, then later I used to make it more into Substance Painter because it 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 is a software that helps you not to export a lot of like uh, OBJ and FBX. It's like you can just merge it and put it over there. It's much more organized and gives you better result uh, without like changing. I mean, X normal is also good, but Substance does a really good job in a short period of time. I will say that. Um, for my, uh, I mean, high res, I mean, for, for the skin pores and stuff like that, I usually use Mari. Sometimes you can use substance, but, uh, I never do a lot of skin pores, but I'm quite handy with it. And rest, I do my presentation using Photoshop and Marmoset Toolbag. These are my basic softwares. Okay, great. Toolbag still works for you. That's great. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so. I mean, Unreal is. Uh, uh, well, work. this is something I'm really lacking. I don't. I've not yet gone through Unreal because, as I said, it's all alone me. It's the industry is updating so much every uh-huh. day. I have things to learn every time. I mean, yeah. okay, this software has come up with the updated stuff. Okay, ZBrush twenty twenty. What's new over there? Okay, this is crazy. Let's try it out. Oh, I have to do my project as well. For my clients, I have to do that. Yes. Okay, I'm planning for a company. I, I need to go to that company. I, I need to work on my portfolio as well. Okay, I have to work on my portfolio. So there's a mix of things you do every day. And apart from this, I'm a, I'm a father. I also have a daughter. I mean, one year only. Mm-hmm. Congrats. So I need to spend some, yeah, thanks. I need to spend some time with her, my wife, my parents. So yeah. that's the thing. It is. All right, my friend. Um, any advice you got for people who are listening to this in India and uh, thinking about doing an art career but catching some resistance? Uh, well, uh, my first advice is something like uh, you don't really have to become a great uh, painter or sculptor or anything to get into the gaming industry or the CG industry mm-hmm. because you will experience quite differently. Um, one of the questions I really used to get from many newcomers who just wants to join this industry, maybe my neighbors. Should I join this industry? Is there any job guarantee about this field? Mm -hmm. I said, there is nothing like guarantee. I mean, you have to make it for yours. I mean, you have to learn it in that way so that you can at least survive. There is nothing like guarantee. Nobody can guarantee. So if you do good, you will get good. I guess that is the part of every industry. It works same for the gaming as well. Yeah. Um, try to be more versatile. I mean, because when you are starting up with your job, people will ask, what have you done on the class? Have you have experience on low poly stuff? 
just have a basic idea but it takes time so give that time to it it will take a lot of time uh, and always get inspired that is the main thing i guess always get inspired never stop that's great thank you kashik and uh michael kashik man guys thank you so much for for coming in for being in here with me today i really appreciate this kind of a special treat for me to kind of see and get both sides of this into a conversation it's yeah, thanks a lot pleasure. yeah absolutely. thanks for inviting us absolutely and good luck on the launch in you said six days yeah it's uh the 24th yeah so it's it's pretty close all right i'm gonna look for that that sounds exciting thank you all right take care guys have a great day yeah, yeah or night you too bye yeah. bye 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 michael bye all right thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this and i want to ask just two things of you number one make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on apple uh, stitcher spotify really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.